0: Folks, welcome to True Crime or Tall Tale, the true crime podcast where I, Jack, or my co-host, Cat, tell you two heinous crimes. One is fact, the other, not so much. How you doing? I'm doing pretty
1: well, Jack. I have no complaints. Also, we're back in the hot seat again. What has it been since we recorded?
0: Oh, this is the Wednesday before High Seas Homicide will release. Right. So um, we High recorded C- that episode this previous Saturday, so it has been... Three days. (laughs) Nice, I was right on the money
1: with my estimate. Oh my Um, god. We're squeezing in this episode recording before Jack goes on vacation.
0: Not on a cruise ship, though. Oh, fuck no. Um, I think if I had had a cruise planned, and then I had to listen to last week's episode, or two weeks, whatever, the last episode, I would have (laughs) cancelled (laughs) it.
1: So we're squeezing this in before Jack goes on vacation. She'll be back before... This oh, episode goes up. We on.
0: we just didn't manage to fully budget for the fact that I was gonna be out of the state for ten days.
1: Yeah. But I just think it's really funny that both independently from each other, our two big vacations of this year, we're both
0: to North Carolina. Oh yeah, I'm going to the Outer Banks with like thirteen of my family. Pray for me. It'll be fun though.
1: I also went to North Carolina with too many of my family because I was at my cousin's wedding. So amazing! Yeah, it was a fun time. No, they, give, they gave out so many alcohol samples. While I'm we were in so North Carolina. intrigued to see if I encounter that. <laughs> same I really need you to go to a bar because okay, so I was in I was in Charlotte, and literally everywhere they went with some semblance of Southern hospitality, they. We're like, oh, like, you're curious about this alcohol we have on the menu? Here, let's give you a sample. And they'll basically give you a shot of whatever cocktail. Or I was at a brewery and I was trying – I don't drink beer. But I was trying some because literally they had nothing else on the menu. Though they did have a, like, hard sweet tea. And it reminded me of how when I was, like – 16, uh I went to another cousin's wedding in Colorado and I we was We have big families. I was drinking sweet tea down like it was my job and I was like, wow, imagine if this was alcoholic. Did you know? um, And then later on, like 10 years later, here I was drinking alcoholic sweet tea and it was awesome. And I was like, wow, that was my anecdote. Continue.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, did you know um, I went through a phase that may or may not have lasted several years in college where my favorite drink was Fireball? And I had a summer where I was spiking Arizona green tea with Fireball and trying to convince myself that it was good. Oh, it was shit. It was dog shit. Oh my God. How fitting that this is not product placement oh my god
1: how fitting that we're drinking hard arizona's right now
0: we absolutely are um please um have your people call our people the people that we don't have just call by, by the our night. people i mean me i'm our tech person or dm cat cat's our social media person call her yeah sure you won't pick up the phone though
1: Anyway, we are very off track. <laughs> I haven't even told you what the theme is. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> you I are. I wish I had a
1: witty segue to segue into oh. the theme, but we, I have nothing. That Listen, can let connect. me let's,
0: let me roll into this. Um, our witty listeners, you <laughs> know. Our clever listeners, you know the theme because you clicked on the title of this episode, or auto played. Which, in that case, thank you.
1: Thank you for auto-playing us and our <laughs> Thank you for letting us <laughs>
0: to continue to talk to you after the way we end every episode. <laughs> ap- ap-
1: apologies.
0: <laughs> today we're talking about arson. But we're not talking about pyromania today. We are talking about being in the business of arson. We're talking about arson for profit. Arson for profit. So, I am back on my little, um, not-so-white-collar crime kick. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this one, people do get their hands dirty. Nice, nice. Um, but first I'm going to give you a little history on arson, a little, some, some nice statistics that I am sorely tempted to put into an infographic. Boy, oh boy, do I love statistics. (laughs) I truly am an accountant's daughter. All right, folks, I hope you are comfy cozy wherever you may be, because it's about to get uncomfortable with these two cases.
1: I'm so ready to get uncomfortable. I'm
0: glad, because we're pretty cozy.
1: out up here
0: in my bed.
1: (laughs) It's the best and most comfortable recording spot, so, you know, it's comfy cozy.
0: It works out until um, I'm yawning at the end. <laughs> I <know>. go. <laughs> Alright, let's get into it. So, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, the Arson Task Force was convened in 1978 to examine the growing problem of intentionally set fires in Massachusetts. Oh,
1: man, oh, man. <laughs> it all comes
0: back to Massachusetts, baby. <laughs>
1: It's the birthplace of America. Of course we'd be the birthplace
0: of... The arson task force. (laughs) Arson task
1: force. How many fires were being set in mass? Come on, guys. Well,
0: next half of that sentence is, which caused 63 million in property damages and 23 deaths in 1977. Just
1: 1977. Okay. All right. Why was so many fires happening in 1977?
0: I don't... Social unrest? I don't know. Parents. Wasn't that
1: the hippies... Parents, get back to me on that. I need no know some answers. <laughs> mom, my parents, My dad would have been like
0: eight, so I don't think he knows. My parents were also very much alive. My mom was 16 in 77. Maybe she knows why there were fires in Massachusetts as a young New Jersey girl. State insurers estimate that at least $15 out of every $100 paid out in premiums goes to pay for arson losses. So, it's taking up a good chunk of why people call their insurance company. Okay. I will say, they mention um, two classic models of arson. Arson for pure profit and arson to relieve economic burdens, which we'll both talk about
1: today. Oh my god. Like, deliberately setting your own house on fire for insurance fraud reasons. Yes,
0: my interpretation is that arson for pure profit is you are going to be paid money after you set this fire. So, like, yes, You're defrauding your insurance. You're setting your own house, your own business, your own whatever, to get a payout. I think I would say arson to relieve economic burdens is maybe you take out a competitor. You take out someone that you owe money to. You, I'm making this shit up. This is my interpretation, not facts.
1: I I was interpreting that sentence a little bit differently. I was going for for profit might be you were hired to just set something ablaze. Meanwhile, to relieve economic burdens would be... Shit.
0: I would think can't to relieve, pay the real bills got to set the house on fire. I would I would interpret like to relieve economic burdens as like let's say you have a property in your name. It's not your primary residence. It's going to cost too much to fix up to make it sellable, but you can't rent it out cuz it's not livable right now. So maybe you set it on fire. It mm-hmm. relieves your economic burden of having to either sell it or fix it. Okay. And then you just have the land. Maybe you can sell the land a whole lot easier. Okay. And you probably do get a little insurance payout.
1: All right. A little shady, but, you know, I, res- I respect the drip a little bit. <coughs>
0: <laughs> just, just a little bit. We don't endorse crime. Crime mm-hmm. endorses us.
1: <laughs> um, it kind of does, because, you know, yeah. we've made a podcast <laughs> because of crime.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, t-shirt time. Uh, do I hear
0: about the FBI? Yes, I
1: do want to hear about the FBI.
0: Thank you. Okay. So, the FBI defines arson as any willful or malicious burning or attempting to burn with or without intent to defraud a dwelling house, public building, motor vehicle, or aircraft, personal property of other, etc. So, has to be intentional. You have to burn or attempt to burn. And you can or cannot attempt to defraud. It's not a requirement. It's not a requirement. So,
1: two are like requirement requirements. And one of them is like, eh, it could be either way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The ATF, or the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, which sounds like a rowdy time, Mm -hmm. reported arson for profit as one of the fastest growing crimes in 1980, growing by 25% each year. Jeez
1: Louise.
0: So yes, arson really has been a great deal since the late 70s, and it's only gotten worse. It's (laughs) only
1: gotten worse.
0: The arson statistics for the U.S. in 2020 are that there were 39,851 reported cases of arson. 6,030 of them were arson to single occupancy homes, so a home that one family lives in. Right. 2,149 of them were commercial buildings, so businesses.
1: Okay, so most of them are private homes.
0: Yes, a steep amount. The amount of single occupancy homes is almost triple the amount of businesses or commercial properties that were lit on fire. Awesome. Thank you for knowing math. Yes. (laughs) Those are my statistics for today. I would like. Catherine's certainly losing it at the way I would like to introduce this story, which it just simply reads in my notes, tell my Pop-Tarts fire story, <laughs> which I shall do now. <laughs> if you were there, no, you weren't. Um, <laughs> okay. I was, let's say middle school, because I don't have a concept of age. My my parents, they're still together, and our neighbors were very good friends, so the Four adults are outside at the fire pit where Mm -hmm. fire is supposed to be. Drinking beer, having a good time. Wonderful. It's the summer, I think. None of us had school. My sisters and my neighbors, the kids that were around our age, were in the living room watching TV. I was in the family room. Which, you've never been in this house. Sorry to everyone who doesn't know what my house looks like. Which is directly off the kitchen. Okay. Like, it's closer to the kitchen than the living room is. I was watching Drake and Josh. I vividly remember. What a great show. Oh, amazing. I got hungry, and I said, I'll put a Pop-Tart in the toaster. I put a Pop-Tart in the toaster. And I had never walked away from the toaster before. But I said this time, oh, it'll pop up, and I don't want to miss the episode of Drake and Josh. This is pre- pausing your TV <laughs> to age myself. <laughs> um, oh god,
1: yeah. Definitely had to be oh, yeah. like middle school or like like fifth grade. Oh. Because Drake and Josh was like still on TV. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And for me, middle school started in fifth grade. Oh, so nice, this is nice. absolutely early middle school. So yeah, this is pre-DVR. And I, for the first time in my life, I walked away from the toaster.
1: Rookie mistake. And I
0: immediately forgot that I wanted a Pop-Tart. Mm. And then minutes later, because it didn't pop up, spoiler alert the people in the living room, which is further from the kitchen, said, do you smell smoke? No. And this is the start of my family realizing that I am completely oblivious. Oh my god. I also have a terrible sense of smell. Oh my god. So not only do I not know when people are watching me, I also can't smell. You know what? Okay, you know, as your friend who I've known you for
1: a very, very long time, you stating that fact makes so much sense to me on why... You've you've told me that some of your favorite scents are like the worst ones for you. Like Oh like I love gasoline
0: fixative and it's rubber it, cement. And I think it's
1: because they're the only ones that you can smell because they're strong.
0: Oh, subtle I don't do subtle scents. <laughs> oh my god. Meanwhile I'm like a dog going like Do you smell that? Prime <laughs> comes in and say do you smell gas? I'm like, no. You're like, do you smell caffeine? I'm like, no, I don't smell anything. <laughs> I know. I do have a sense of smell, not to lie to the viewers, but it's bad. Like, I was an RA and I should have gotten that job so I literally couldn't smell weed.
1: Your lip, you can smell weed.
0: No, I can smell it in our apartment. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. My sisters have yelled, do you smell smoke? And I go, fuck the Pop-Tart. And I get up and I run into the kitchen and the entire toaster is on fire. <gasps> And our toaster was positioned underneath some cabinets and night. The flames have reached the bottom of the cabinet. And then we go running, screaming out the back door, directly towards the parents, just screaming fire, which I think it must be your worst nightmare as a parent. At least the kids were getting out of the house, but my God, your children come running out screaming fire. Screaming fire, like, what the hell did they fucking do? And you're like, we were right here. How could this have happened? So my mother runs in like a badass... She grabs oven mitts, (laughs) unplugs the toaster, and carries it through the kitchen, through the family room, off our back deck, and throws it onto our cement sidewalk. (laughs) And till the day we sold that house, there was still a mark on the sidewalk from where the toaster just burnt and melted to an absolute crisp.
1: Oh my god. I don't think you ever actually fully told me that story. Okay, I usually
0: just say I I set a Pop-Tart on fire.
1: That had
0: everything. (laughs) It reminds me of my Viking funeral for spider. (laughs) We'll we'll tell that another time. We'll have to
1: tell that another time.
0: Um, anyway, and my sisters and neighbors, um, ridiculed me ruthlessly as we watched the toaster and subsequently the Pop-Tart burn on the cement sidewalk. My sisters and my neighbors, um, said, do you still want your Pop-Tart? There's your Pop-Tart now. And I'm like, I'll never live this down. And now I've told all of you. Anyway, also to the day we sold that house, um, the bottom of the cabinets were black from where the flames had scorched them.
1: I need you guys to consistently, for the rest of forever, bully Jack about Pop-Tarts now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can live with that. Harass us online. If if we're going to be buddies,
1: you guys. Harass Jack about Pop-Tarts.
0: But only Pop-Tarts. Those are my anecdotes. Those are my facts. Before we get into the cases, wine. Oh my god, wine!
1: You're right. Da, 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 it's a Moscato.
0: Oh my oh. god, I didn't think we had any white left. This is the last white. Amazing. It feels good that it's I good picked for it, arson.
1: I picked it especially for you because I initially had grabbed a red, and then I saw it hiding, and I went, "Oh my god, Jack likes white wine. Jack's the white wine person." I love a good Moscato. Whoa. It's oh. very sweet, and yet also... I mean, these are, like, seven months old, so a hint of vinegar. They're just extra fermented. I like this stuff. I like it because it's not as sweet as, you know, any other Moscato
0: could be. As, like, barefoot Moscato. Yeah, that is just sugar and glass. That is... Last. I throw barefoot pink Moscato at any newbie drinker who's like, I want to try wine. I'm like, barefoot. It's it, juice. It is,
1: it is the best method, I think, of getting into wine, because literally I thought... Like, it doesn't I'm, mean you have class,
0: but it means no. you get drunk. <laughs>
1: But I literally didn't think I would be a wine drinker. And then Jack went, you're going li- to drink Moscato and you're going to like it. And I went, mm, we'll see. And then I drank Moscato for like the whole first year of being 21 into being 22. And then I b- branched out and I tried Red Blend. And now I like Pinot Noir and all the reds. And I don't, I t- remember being 21 and being like, I'm never going to be a person that likes red wine.
0: Okay. Case number one. Takes place January 11th, 2010. We are in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. Okay. Rural community outside of Pittsburgh. Our main player is Henry Smirk Stevenson, 47. Smirk is his nickname, not his God-given name. I sleuthed that. Henry Smirk Stevenson, 47, bought Lance Lane's Family Fun Center of Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania in 2007. He was a retired bounty hunter from Pittsburgh looking for a new venture. This is his midlife crisis. Okay. Pretty quickly after he bought Lance Lane's, it fell on hard times. In 2009, the establishment, along with 59 other bowling alleys in the state, were fined $3,000 each for conducting 50-50 raffles without the proper licensing. Do you know what a 50-50 raffle is? No. Okay. My high school did it all the time. Don't know if they had the proper licensing. (laughs) But basically... At any event, you there's someone selling raffle tickets. Okay. You can basically get an arm's length for like I don't know five ten bucks. Okay. And the idea is that once they've sold all the raffle tickets or people are done buying them, they'll take their half and they'll pull a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever ticket they pulled, they split the money they got for that raffle. The person who bought it gets fifty percent of the money, and the establishment keeps the other fifty. Usually when my high school did it, the other 50% of the money was going to like a charity or to support the basketball team or something like that. Don't really know why a bowling alley would do it. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? No, but I'll accept it as fact. If anyone else has a better explanation of 50-50 raffles, let me know. In early 2009, regular bowlers at Lance Lanes complained of heating issues forcing them to bowl in their winter coats. Plus, many of the lanes had been closed down in need of repair. Okay. That summer, Lance Lanes lost their liquor license. This caused many bowling leagues, which are comprised of adults accustomed to having a beer during their night out, to switch to Royal Lanes, the only other bowling alley in the county.
1: Oh no, he's losing business. Yeah,
0: because he can't (laughs) sell them a beer. Oh my gosh. Bowling leagues were the most consistent source of revenue for any bowling alley. They usually come once a week. Mm -hmm. They usually buy beer or food Mm -hmm. in addition to it. It's usually much more consistent than, like, kids' birthday parties at bowling alleys. Mm. Right. (laughs) My grandmother
1: was in bowling league.
0: Really? Yeah. I love that.
1: She she bowled and everything. (laughs) Grammy, what's up? You're probably not gonna listen to this, but hey. Shout out Grammy. (laughs) Grammy.
0: To add to the money trouble of Lance Lane's Smirk himself owed twenty eight thousand dollars in back taxes on on the property. Nope, just him himself. Okay. He used to call it my dad. Smirk. His name is Smirk. Okay. Like the facial expression. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and the straw that seemingly broke the camel's back. Smirk received a letter of foreclosure from the mortgage holder of lanes Oh no! So to say the least, he's desperate. Yeah. He has bought this venture, it is failing. Not only is he losing money on the venture, he also owes $28,000 in back taxes. $28,000?
1: Wow. That means
0: you have, in my mind, not through any record, that means you either have never paid your taxes, or you have been wildly, like, over-claiming deductions or um, dependents or whatever for years. So, Smirk had beef with Royal Lanes from the start. Shortly after taking over Lance Lanes, Smirk was quoted as saying he would put his competition out of business within two years. Oh! So, not only was he failing, but he had already put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> oh no! Royal Lanes, on the other hand, had been a community staple for the past 50 years and was owned by Lyle Mendez and his family. They had just finished a $400,000 renovation on the bowling alley. This included 10-foot video screens and a new computerized scoring system. Ooh. You said this was 2010? Um, our crime takes place in 2010. The, this renovation probably took place 2009. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, cutting-edge technology for bowling alleys in 2009. (laughs) Uh, I remember those days. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I fucking love bowling. (laughs) But also, yeah, like, you're seeing Lance Lane's can't fix their heating system. Meanwhile, they have a big... Meanwhile, they just put... Mega money into their bowling alley to make it even nicer. So it's like, why would you go,
1: why would you go to, like, the musty old one that can't even serve you a frickin' beer for your troubles when you can go to the nice, fancy, rancy, like, up-to-date state-of-the-art bowling alley? Yeah,
0: and especially considering if you're a bowling league, which is what they want, you know you're going to this place at least once a week. And you you're are. spending good money consistently. Mm-hmm. You want it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. All this together apparently made Smirk a very desperate man. In an attempt to make good on his promise and finally put Royal Lanes out of business, he hatched a plan. First, he approached Tony Zamoripa Jr., a 21-year-old electrician, and 17-year-old Brian Klen. Both were from the same Pittsburgh neighborhood as Merck. So he went to the young kids and said, I have a job for you.
1: Okay. He
0: wanted to hire Just them. The a
1: guy coming up to the young ones. He's a
0: guy. Isn't oh. he like... 40s, I'm going to guess. 47. And okay. he's a former bounty hunter. So he they probably think he's cool.
1: Oh my god. I totally didn't even react to that the first time he no. said that. <laughs> and I
0: said we're just going to move on. Former bounty hunter. And then so a bounty hunter has a midlife crisis and buys a bowling alley. <laughs>
1: I want that to be me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to be struggling. Damn.
0: So do you want to go from a former podcaster to bowling alley owner?
1: Who's to say at this point? (laughs) I'd rather
0: have an ice cream truck, but that's seasonal.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I'd be the one ice cream truck that goes all year long because do you know how many times as a kid I would be in the dead of winter and be like, damn, I wish the ice cream truck would just come by. Okay. That's fair.
0: That's fair. Very fair.
1: Yeah. I know where it's at.
0: Continuing. Okay. Okay. So Smirk wanted to hire Tony and Brian to burn down Royal Lanes, his Hmm. competitor. The young men agreed, and Smirk provided them with money to buy kerosene, gasoline, and a drill, and road flares, as well as money to stay at a hotel near Royal Lanes, considering the bowling alley was about an hour outside of the city. So he drives back into Pittsburgh to get goons.
1: <laughs> I need to get some goons.
0: The younger the better, the, the young dumber. younger the better,
1: the dumber, the more willing. Oh my god, he's like, the fact that he's like, hiring out like he's commissioning this arson and not just, you know, going let me light this blaze myself. Like he's like thinking it
0: out. Oh, this is so premeditated. Oh my god. So then, one week after Smirk received the foreclosure letter, his hired goons set Royal Lanes ablaze in the middle of the night. So this is where we come into January 11, 2010. They used a ladder to climb onto the flat roof of the building drill a hole through the ceiling, and poured kerosene and gasoline into the beloved bowling alley below. They then lit the road flares and dropped them through the same hole, immediately igniting the accelerant and the building's interior. Oh my god. The inferno that was once Royal Lanes was called into police and fire in the early hours of January 11, 2010. Lyle Mendez, the owner for the past 50 years, watched from a police car as the roof and back wall of his livelihood collapsed. That is so heartbreaking. Oh my god, it's horrific. That's like cinematic. Yes. Oh my god. The speed and intensity of which the fire burned led almost all on the scene to suspect arson. In the end, the only part of the newly renovated bowling alley left undamaged was the office. This resulted in four million dollars of damages. Oh my god! <sighs> oh no! that That's a lot of dough. Yeah. And the only initial clue was an empty gasoline can found in the woods behind the bowling alley. That, along with the other evidence, completely led the investigators to believe and know that it was arson.
1: Guys, why would you leave the gas
0: can? Oh my god. And it's just like, It's such a horrific scene. Like, people heard about this blaze, drove out in the early hours of the morning. Like, people who were beloved patrons. Like, people who bowl in leagues at bowling alleys, they don't call it their bowling alley. They call it their house. They call it their home. And they have lockers there where they keep their bowling ball and their shoes. And they said that, like, as the firemen we going through the rubbish after the fire was out. They were pulling out like cracked and half bowling balls. Oh my god! Heat.
1: Why am I getting emotional <laughs> well,
0: over it? bowling balls? It's oh. a it's a community staple. Like this is how people came together.
1: Fucking! I need. I want to go bowling. We can
0: go bowling. I'll take you bowling. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, maybe unsurprisingly, Smirk and his accomplices were arrested the next day. Mm. It. Was a well-known fact that Lance Lanes was losing business to Royal Lanes. And Smirk had a prior weapons charge that made him the prime suspect in police's eyes.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Former bounty hunter. With a record. (laughs) I don't think
1: you're the right person to have tried to commit arson, buddy. I mean, is anyone? No. You're so
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) Tony and Brian were identified by the hotel staff where they stayed. And the fact that they were from the same neighborhood as Smirk was a red flag to investigators. They smelled goons.
1: They smelled goons.
0: <laughs> All three were charged with aggravated arson for hire, aggravated arson, and conspiracy to commit aggravated arson. K. Tony accepted a plea deal for a reduced sentence. Ryan, who was 17 at the time, pled guilty and was sentenced as a juvenile. And Smirk initially maintained his innocence, but later pled guilty to all charges. He was sentenced to 15 years total. Wow. 15 years. Yeah, that's three charges and arson's a felony. Yeah. Royal Lanes initially planned to rebuild once they received their insurance payout. But shortly after Smirk's sentencing, they announced it would be too costly to rebuild. No. These are the only two bowling alleys in a royal county, a royal community, Lance Lanes also closed its doors shortly after Smirk's arrest.
1: I wonder why.
0: Yeah. So one man's greed cost a community their only two bowling alleys and put dozens of people out of work. Oh my god. It actually, like, is quite, like, it truly hurt the economy. That of, cheap- the, of the, of the town, yeah. Town, yeah.
1: It's like, not a tourist spot. Like, literally all it has was its whole, like, hole Right. In so, wall. like, you
0: have dozens of people out of a relatively small town out of work. And you don't have people maybe driving a half an hour to come bowl coming into your town anymore. Wow. That can like really tank
1: an economy.
0: Yeah. This this makes.
1: This guy fucked up. This makes me think of the movie that my mom made me watch.
0: Which one? There's thousands.
1: The one that I I came home and I told you and it was like, it was like a rom-com, but from an entire town. They're trying to convince a doctor to stay to help fix their economy.
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. This town has heartbreak. They've lost two bowling alleys and their economy's tanking. They need to do what this movie did, I guess. Poor Cranberry. Poor Cranberry. Anyway, um, that's the end of case one. Okay. Um, All right, folks, we're back for case number two. This one is December 16th, 2008. We are in Kensington, Kentucky, a spacious community of horse farms and stables outside of Lexington. Cool. Our main character here, or our bad guy, is is Richard Dick Altman, 38, and he is a hedge fund manager from Smith & Markin in New York City. Oh my gosh. Is this going to turn into a rom-com? <laughs> Not it even goes close. Goes to Kentucky.
1: Small town girl, just kidding. Sorry.
0: Just All right. So, Big City Dick. Uh, right. Oh, his name is accurate. Yes. Oh. So, this Big City Dick went to Kensington, Kentucky because he wanted to diversify his portfolio by investing in horse racing. Okay. He was trying to bring New York City stock money into a very traditional old money industry. To start, he bought 10 racehorses of good stock and promising breeding in 2006. Okay. Usually in horse racing, trainers will own the stables, but not the horses. Dick convinced a well-respected trainer, Martin Wilson, 49 years old, to take him on as a client by offering him 10% ownership in the horses. Something other trainers couldn't achieve with the established owners. So, for a moment, let's dive into how do you make money off of racehorses. So, maybe I was the only one excited to find this out. Maybe everyone else already knows this. I didn't know how you made money. Um, I didn't know how horse races were, like, a profitable business. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, how do the trainers make money? How do the owners make money? How does how does it all work?
1: It was just, it, they just invented horse races for the plot of movies for little girls.
0: <laughs> no, that's wild races. That's, sorry, wild horses. No. Seabiscuit?
1: That zebra one? Ah. Black Beauty? All of them. All of them were racing horses. Except, I don't remember. Was Black what. Beauty
0: race? No, I feel like she was like a like a rodeo horse. Like, she did the tricks. No,
1: no. It was something that...
0: Okay, whatever. It, Seabiscuit? The zebra one? <laughs> the zebra one was good. Anyway. Secretariat? Yes. I didn't know how they made money, though. I'm about <laughs> to tell you. So, each horse race has a purse, which is a monetary amount determined by the track steward, Based on the grade of the race. Isn't it, isn't a lot of it the money based on bets and gambling? Maybe that funnels into the purse. I don't know where you get the purse, but the steward establishes the purse. I think it's through the gambles. You might also pay fees to get into the race. I don't really know. I don't know. There's a purse established by the track steward. I just know that I get to wear pretty hats
1: when the Kentucky Derby is on.
0: Based off the grade of the race. Okay. Out of this purse, 60% goes to the first place winner, 20% to the second place, 10 to third, fifth to fourth, three percent to the fifth place, and two percent to the sixth. Out of what you get for how your horse places, jockeys and trainers are entitled to 10% of whatever you get, and the rest goes to the owner. So, ideally, Martin Wilson is getting a pretty good deal, because as the trainer, he's getting 10% of whatever they win. In addition, he's getting 10% of whatever the owner gets, because he's Mm -hmm. 10% owner. Okay. So you can see why he would take this deal with a New York stock guy who he probably didn't trust. About two years after Dick bought his horses, he felt like they were underperforming and he wasn't getting a good enough return on his investment. Okay. Which, to be fair, they weren't winning big titles. They weren't the next secretariat. You can kind of understand. For a New York stock exchange guy, he expected immediate results. Right. Which you usually don't get with living things. Right. (laughs) According to Wilson, Dick had made his disappointment very clear. In fact, blaming him for the lack of results. Oh. So, there's quite a bit of animosity. So, Dick got his own horses to put his
1: own skin in the game? Or he partnered with someone?
0: So, yes. Dick bought 10 horses himself. In order to get them into a good trainer, stable, he offered Wilson 10% ownership. And Wilson also was a pre-established... Trainer. Trainer. Okay. Yes. Trainer. Two years after the purchase, Dick felt like he wasn't getting his return. He blamed Wilson. Completely unrelated. <laughs> it's oh. standard practice for owners to insure their racehorses in case of death, theft, or destruction.
1: Mm, sounds like that's foreshadowing.
0: You would never accuse me of storytelling. <laughs> Dick had insurance policies with Blue Bridal Insurance totaling just over $2 million for all horses. All ten of his horses. Okay. So...
1: He has a pretty penny waiting on if anything were to happen to the horse. And I don't like this story, Jack.
0: Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'd give a content warning, but all we do is talk about murder. I know. First, to get some return on his investment, Dick tried to sell half of the horses. But with their just average racing history and having to pay 10% to Wilson, the venture turned out to not be fruitful. Then he, much like Smirk, approached two local men. With a different sort of venture. Oh, God. Everyone's fucking dishing it out and not doing it themselves. Oh, absolutely. He approached Mark Hawking, 24, and Theo Kipri, 22. They had a reputation as low-level drug dealers in the area, in addition to doing under-the-table work at the horse stables when needed. Dick had seen them around Wilson's stables on occasion. And was well aware of this reputation.
1: Okay, so he knew that these guys were a little bit dirty.
0: He knew that they probably wouldn't have a problem. Okay. Committing a crime. Wonderful. (laughs) He hired them to burn down the stables with the horses inside. No. Knowing his insurance policy would cover the accidental, quote unquote, death of the horses. The men were given a portion up front and were promised another payment after Dick received the insurance payout. So, we roll up to December 16th, 2008 again. Six months after Dick tried to sell half of his horses, Wilson's stables burnt down in the middle of the day, with all the horses inside. middle of the day? Yeah. Wilson was inside the stables doing paperwork in the office when the fire broke out. It spread rapidly while he fought to free the horses. In the end, only one horse, Baltimore, escaped, and nine died in the fire. Oh my god. The thing Wilson remembered most about that day was how the horses screamed and the smell of gasoline. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no! Jacqueline! This
1: makes me really sad. I'm sorry, there's horses. <laughs> there's horses. There's horses
0: and bowling. Oh my God. Police, fire, and medics were called to the scene by Wilson and his daughter, Amy, 26, who also worked at the stables. Wilson was treated for mild smoke inhalation, and it took the fire department almost two hours to extinguish the fire. It was raging that hard. The rate at which the fire burned raised the suspicions of the firefighters and investigators on the scene. Mm-hmm. Dick heavily implied to his colleagues and the police that Wilson had something to do with the fire. But when Dick's insurance company became involved, his story changed. He then claimed that the fire was purely accidental and caused by a bad electrical wiring and poor weather conditions. Apparently it had been a very dry summer. Okay. If the insurance were to pay up for the death of the nine horses, Dick would receive just under $2 million for the claim. But we all know how insurance loves to find a reason not to pay. In a way, they're the heroes. <laughs> Yay, insurance. You were so pro-insurance last time, and this one I'm like, insurance will do anything to not pay you. <laughs> um, but you
1: also just said that they're the heroes in the story. Well, because they find out the truth. Exactly. So, woo, Insurance. I don't work for the insurance company, I swear. The
0: insurance company. The, the one. The only one. There's only one insurance company. Oh my goodness. So, pretty quickly, the arson investigators determined the point of the origin was in the back of the stables and had substantial evidence of accelerants, essentially proving this was arson.
1: Okay. Too many accelerants to be just an accident.
0: Right. And if someone's saying that the fires caused by bad wiring... Why is there gasoline? Why
1: is there gasoline if it's wiring? If it's an electrical fire.
0: Yeah, no. Does not track. So the police shared this information with Blue Bridal Insurance, along with witness statements, at which point they learned Dick's story was changing, depending on who he was talking to. Special agents with the Department of Insurance's Criminal Investigations Division were brought in on the case. When the police looked into Dick's finances, they discovered an unusually large cash withdrawal just two days before the buyer. So there's a paper trail. Okay. Amy, Wilson's daughter, also reported seeing Mark Hawking and Theo Kipri at the stables that day, even though Wilson didn't have any work for them. And they had been caught on store surveillance buying kerosene and gasoline. I love surveillance cameras. Love those. All three men were brought in for interviews by police, and things went downhill from there. Theo was the first to agree to cooperate with the investigation in exchange for a lesser sentence. He confessed that Dick hired Mark and him to burn down the barn with the horses inside so he could collect the insurance payout. All three men were arrested and charged with animal cruelty, aggravated arson for hire, aggravated arson, and conspiracy to commit aggravated arson. Dick was also charged with arson fraud, a specific type of insurance fraud, for having the fire deliberately set, which is a Class D felony in Kentucky, plus acquiring property, which would be the payout, under false pretenses, for claiming that the fire was an accident when he filed the claim, which is also a felony charge. Mm. So Dick's got quite a few felonies um, coming at him real quick. <laughs> Theo took a plea deal to testify against the other two in exchange for a lesser sentence, which we mentioned. Mark pled guilty to all charges and was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Oof. And Dick pled not guilty to all charges, and his case went to trial. As a result of the trial, the jury found him guilty on all charges and sentenced him to 25 years in prison.
1: Way to go. That's what you get for fucking killing your horses, you fucking dick, even though it should be
0: more? Yes. And Wilson received an insurance payout of his own once he was cleared of any involvement in the stable fire. So he would have had the structure, insured, like property insurance. Baltimore, the one surviving horse, was removed from Dick's ownership as part of the animal cruelty charge. So, with Wilson being 10% owner, he actually got to keep Baltimore.
1: Oh, there's a little bit of a happy ending here.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry for the rest of the nine horses.
0: <laughs> it's, it's quite sad. I'm, like, really sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, yes, sir. It's one thing if people are dying, but horses... To Dick, the horses were absolutely disposable. They were were literally an investment.
1: I hate you so much. So much right now. Sorry. Oh, not you. I I was saying I hate, um... Dick? Dick.
0: Oh, sorry. I thought you hated me for bringing the story into your life.
1: No, um, I hate the bastard who just goes, animals are expendable. Because they're fucking not, you fucking waste of fucking breath. (laughs) Jesus Christ, you're the waste, you expendable piece of shit. That's the hell I would die on.
0: People who, um, fuck with animals, kids, there's a special place in hell. Fuck you. Agreed. Hand me the wine, take the mic, it's your time to decide. Time for you to tell me which is the true crime and which was just the tall tale.
1: our big reveal, pause and go to our Instagram at True Crime or Tall Tale Podcast and comment on this episode's post. Tell us which case you think is the true crime and which one is the tall tale. Then tune back in to see if you were right. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Okay, this one is very, very tough because I feel like both of them have a semblance of realism to them in the way that like a whole town gets economically collapsed by like two bowling alleys going out of business. I think the one thing that's making me lean towards saying the second one is the true crime is because I'm really loath to believe that a tall tale, like a like a a faux crime show, if you will, would go to that length to show that animal cruelty. I've seen I've seen shows like bones wherein you know like a siberian tiger is shot and killed but it's like one at a time and usually like it's not like uh here's like a mass grave of 10 animals or nine in this case so that's that's what's making me sway that way a little bit but it's also somehow the statistics of you saying um all of those facts about horse racing that you were like i didn't know Kind of gives me the impression of you needing to beef up the story a little bit, but then it kept going and it just made me sadder and sadder. Um, So like the statistics on horse racing, it's like, oh, okay, let me add this in because here's horse racing as like a premise, which I feel like has been featured in shows and stuff before. And like the bowling alley sort of duke it out sort of thing feels both realistic and yet also I'm like, there's something that's so realistic about it and yet i feel like it's the one that i'm easier to call farcical, but i don't know it's it's really 50/50 it's really split down the line so i'm going to go with my gut and i'm going to say that case number 1 is the tall tale and case number 2 is true crime now tell me if i am wrong or if i am right all right drum roll please
0: you have been ooh again <laughs> Oh man, for real? For real. Hold on, I'm so this is why I was so excited for our (laughs) second. The most fun fact about this all is not only is case number one the true crime, case number one happened in my hometown. I had a fucking feeling. (laughs) Was it cranberry? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) I had a goddamn
1: feeling. Oh my god, and you switching- I you know what? I should have gone with my second gut. What are you a Cow? Yeah, yeah. Multiple guts. I do actually. I'm. You're the ox. Taurus. Oh, oh yes, yes.
0: Our our taurus are. I got. I got.
1: I got multiple That's why I can eat so much. <laughs> oh my god!
0: It's based on your hometown. I, it's freaking. W- amazing. Let me pull up the notes. I will give you all the details. I'm so excited. I had to call my mom about this. True players. Okay. So Henry Smirk Stevenson is really Stephen Henry Smirk. Oh my god, okay. I just rearranged his name. The last name was actually Smirk. Yes. Cool. He was originally from Philadelphia, not Pittsburgh. (laughs) And he became the Lacey manager of Pike Lane's Family Fun Center in Deerfield, New Jersey. I
1: like how you went from Pike to Lance. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, another thing I changed was that he was a warrant officer, not a bounty hunter. That term was too niche, and I'm like, if I keep it in there, it's gonna feel too real. And you saying bounty hunter was
1: one of the other things that was kind of making me think, okay, that's a little outlandish, but I had a fucking feeling that that was that this was going to be one that would dupe me. Uh. I had a feeling that, like, I was like, oh man, you know, I should go opposite to my hunch. Because Jack's gonna trick me, and I was <laughs> and I was right about that hunch in retrospect. We all
0: gotta start suspecting the the double fake out, the I, double agent.
1: You really, we really do.
0: <laughs> um, We're starting to learn each other's tells. We are. So, a warrant officer is somewhat unique to Pennsylvania. It is essentially an independent contractor who does many of the warrant serving functions that sheriff officers do in other states. Okay. Either way, he was he was adjacent to law enforcement at some point in his career. Cool. And he still had a midlife crisis and decided to uh, buy a bowling alley? Yes. No one actually said it was his midlife crisis. I'm making assumptions based on the fact that he was 47. Mm. I, I don't know why else you buy a bowling alley at 47.
1: It was a lifelong dream.
0: <laughs> we can only hope the best. Another change was to beef up the financial hardships, which I was so excited when I found this fact. The 60 bowling alleys that I mentioned, that were charged for the 50-50 raffles. Mm-hmm. That was a real thing, but they were never actually charged. They were only given stern warnings to stop conducting what was considered illegal gambling. So they didn't have Whoa. a gambling license.
1: That's interesting.
0: So that was a fun thing I found about bowling alleys in New Jersey in <laughs> 2010. Wow. So Lyle Mendez, the owner of um, Royal Lanes, was really Charles Loyal. And he owned Loyal Lanes lanes. of Vineland, New Jersey. And uh, to give kind of his perspective after the fires, he was quoted by ABC6 after the fire as saying, we got comments that he would put us out of business in two years. Well, it took him a little over two years to put us out of business, but he had to burn us down to do it.
1: Ooh, uh, for a victim of arson, that was a sick burn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Tony, Zemery, but I don't even know how I said this verse. You know, that was also another thing. I was just like, Jack's not, here.
1: like, I was like, mm, you know, this one might be true because I don't think Jack's creative enough to make up a name she can't pronounce. But it is made up. It is? Yes, I made oh, that up. shit. How did you make that up?
0: I, I don't remember. Did you? No, that's not even, there's no, how
1: did you do that? I'm I so honestly, sorry.
0: I honestly, I, I don't remember. <laughs>
1: This makes it even yeah. better. If you want to know Wait. how I
0: make up names, I type random parts of the true name or true aspects of it into Google until something else pops up.
1: i love so your I method.
0: Zamarepa is Antonio. a real last name. Okay. So, Tony Zamaripa oh, Jr. Shit. was Felix Antonio Manzano, Manzano Jr., oh my a, God. a 21-year-old electrician from Philadelphia at the time of the crime.
1: Never the fuck mind. I'm an asshole. <laughs> I can make up all kinds of shit. I just can't say it. Sounds good.
0: (laughs) Felt that. So Felix's father was quoted shortly after his son's arrest as saying in his defense, he's stupid, but not that stupid. (laughs) That's a real father talking to a real news agency. You know what? Yeah. Good on you, sir. And then, um, okay. I clearly just mixed up the true and fake names for Brian. Brian's the real first name. I gave him the fake name as Kevin. I went with Brian in the storytelling. Oh my god, I really oh, just... Really I just, just said, I just just said his real kept, name. You just kept saying his real name. So, Brian Klen is Brian Klen. Okay. <laughs> he was a 17-year-old from Philadelphia. His name was initially kept out of the press since he was a minor. Someone leaked it. I'm taking advantage of that. Yeah, I
1: also remember your slip-up of saying Kevin instead of Brian. I was just like, oh, am I supposed to know that? Luckily for you, I don't know anyone by the name of Kevin. I mean, I do,
0: but like, not... Notably in crime, everyone's named Kevin. Oh, yeah, this is this was both such a small, like small town crime, but also later, very shortly, I have a quote from the San Diego Tribune who reported on it. What? Yeah, it went across the country. That's awesome. That must make you feel great. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, is a real place. It is just outside of Pittsburgh, but Cranberry Township is really Cumberland County, New Jersey. So, and they truly were the only two bowling alleys in Cumberland County. Wow. Okay. So now if you grew up in my hometown, you have to drive to a different county to go bowling. Whoa. Damn. I'm quite sure. I have to double check that with my mom. No one bothered my mom. Does your mom like bowling? No, I have a story about that. Oh, I, th- this is, oh, you're segueing me into so many parts of this. So I have a description about the area I grew up in, which I'm very excited to talk about. So tell me. Jeff Mulville. Described violent in the San Diego Tribune as a city in a part of New Jersey, far from the historical home of the mob and the teeming chaos of the shore, a place where the state nickname the Garden State seems at.
1: Oh, that's so cute,
0: actually. I know, I loved it. I was like, it's so fucking flowery, but I'm like, I've never described my hometown any better.
1: It is apt, I've been there. it is
0: very gardeny. I've never seen a sky so big, and I've lived by the ocean. <laughs> he also described Cumberland County and South Jersey in general as the sandy soiled part of deep southern Jersey where the towns are small, the main streets are wide, and agriculture has always been one of the main industries. Wow, that sounds so poetic it, it's so flowery, so flowery. I love it <laughs> Um, so just to kind of set the scene a little more of. The small community we were dealing with, I totally enhance the idea that this caused economic collapse. Cumberland County's fine. It's fine. Yeah, the, it did put dozens of people out of work at the bowling alleys. So that is very tragic. The community did feel a loss, but I don't think it had the significant economic repercussions I implied it did. Also, interestingly, this was not the first bowling alley to burn down in Violin. What?
1: Bowling alleys just catch fire. Was it also arson? Mm,
0: I don't think so. <laughs> um, while researching this case, I found out that Delcy Lane's burned down in the 80s. There was an arson investigation, but I wasn't able to find the results. Oh, damn. But more intriguing is an article I found that attributes the displacement of bowling leagues after Delcy Lane's burned down in the 80s to the increase in the popularity of volleyball in the area. What
1: the hell is volleyball?
0: Let me tell you. Sounds much like volleyball. Is it like pickleball? No. Oh. So it's basically volleyball, but it's played on a court that's enclosed. So you can play the ball off the walls. Hence, volleyball. Oh. So it's it's, it's volleyball, but with bumpers.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. I you know circling back to bowling, I only like playing bowling with bumpers oh, because me I like too. to use
0: it strategically. Oh, absolutely. And my mom played volleyball every Thursday night for 17 years when I was a kid. That's amazing. So I love to think that bowling alleys burning down directly influences my life. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is like the audio where it's just like, if I had a nickel for every bowling alley that burned down. think Cumberland County. In Cumberland County.
1: I have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. That's my doofenshmirtz impersonation, by the way. <laughs> I think it's pretty damn good. But yeah, no, literally, that's... It's a little sus to me that there's just a string of bowling alleys. I mean, like burning we went, down in your
0: small. home. We went house. from the 80s to 2010 without a bowling alley burning down. I don't know, but it's still they suspicious. were completely unrelated. Suspicious to me. Oh. It's like
1: weird that it happened twice. Am I right, guys?
0: Maybe it's maybe bowling's just that intense. Maybe just people just fucking hate bowling, or they love it so much that it causes you to burn down your competition. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyway, so when this happened in 2010, I would have been middle school age. I like graduated high school in 2015. I vaguely remember it happening, but I more importantly remember my mom talking about it frequently. She'd be like, we can't go there no more. It burnt down. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, some... Did, the you, other... did you ever go there as a kid? I think I went there as a kid once. <gasps> Royal oh. Lanes. Not, I don't think I went to Deerfield. Oh my god. I, I don't remember. It would you make sense, though. Like, I know I went to bowling alley parties as a kid. I'm sure it was that. Oh my There was gosh. only two in the county. That
1: would be like if my leg like, burnt down, there was like three. <laughs>
0: all on, on all of Cape.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So one of them is like all like technological and it has an arcade and we would go there all the time for like birthdays and everything. And I would fucking... You know how people go to Foxwoods or fucking casinos and being like, yes, yeah, I'm going to gamble. That was me with that like drop a ball one. I was like, this is slots for me as a child <laughs> where it's like you put in money. And you drop a bouncy ball into a circling, like, tube. And it will go and you'll get tickets. I'm so good at it. I got jackpot multiple times, all the time. It's all about the timing. It's all about the timing. Anyway, that was one of the bowling alleys. The other one, which I prefer now, you don't have computers to punch in your data or anything. You have to do it all by hand. But there is an amazing southern barbecue place that has all
0: grout and potatoes. It's so good. I will take you. Perfect. We'll go. We'll go. So yes, that is all the changes I made to Bowling Alley Arson. I have been talking about this, just not to you, for almost a year. Oh my god. I think I mentioned it to you a year ago and I said, forget you ever heard the term Bowling Alley Arson. And I did. I really did. (laughs) I've been so excited to talk about this. Listen, not to play my hand, but season two... This is gonna be so full of hometown cases, you oh, don't even know. Shit.
1: Okay, I gotta work at my own.
0: And we're gonna I'm gonna place them all over the country, but they're all gonna come back to Jersey. Well,
1: I have a really good case that I'm holding for season two, and it's amazing. Amazing. Come back for season two, guys. We're about half this is the this is like the halfway point. Yeah, yeah, this is episode six. Yeah, this is episode six. So last episode will be a, will have been the halfway point of our season one. So Hopefully y'all guys like it enough to stick around for season two. We got more crimes for you. That was an advertisement for something that we haven't even recorded yet. And we also haven't even recorded the end of season one. Anyway,
0: So yeah, that's, yeah, that's everything for um, case one.
1: I want to hear case about two. case two on how it, t- li- I literally, you threw me off with the
0: horse step. Have you ever heard of a show called Leverage?
1: No.
0: Oh, I fucking love this show. This is like my pushing daisies, except it had several, several seasons, and actually reboot recently on Amazon. Okay, rub it in. Okay, <laughs> fine. You get a reboot and everything,
1: and that's all I want from pushing daisies. <laughs> so I got two
0: seasons. It's like rubbing two sticks together. So when I picked that I want to tell Bowling Alley Arson, the only tall tale I could think of that involved Arson for profit was this leverage episode. The title of the episode is The Two Horse Job. Only two. Okay, you really beefed that number. Oh over. no, there were nine horses that died. No, nine <laughs> fictional horses.
1: Uh,
0: at least they're fictional. Yes, no real horses were harmed in the recording of this <laughs> episode.
1: It's me at ease.
0: So Richard Dick Altman was a character played by Alan Foss. His name in the show was Rick Hoffman. I really didn't change that name much. Martin Wilson was really Willie Martin, played by David Carpenter. Um, Theo and Mark were made up completely. Oh, you tied that in to make it seem like... Well, also, the way they portray Rick Hoffman, who is the fictional character, he is notoriously just, like, douchey New York stock market. There's no way he was going to get his own hands dirty. You're so right. That that, was a
1: clever little
0: twist. I'm like, they don't even really talk about the actual arson. They're just like, Rick did it. He did it to get his money back. And how leverage works is that it's these team, um, our main character... Is a former insurance investigator. Wow. <laughs> and then he teams up with these former criminals. There's the grifter, who really loved to steal art. There's the thief, who was not- a notorious thief for stealing everything. There's the hacker, and then there's the oh my hitter. God, it's like
1: a show, but like Ocean's Eleven. Yes,
0: and it's fantastic. It's my favorite thing. I You've binge- seen
1: Ocean's, right? No. Oh,
0: shit. Okay. We're talking about Bank Heist a lot. I don't see many Bank Heist movies. (laughs) (laughs) I love Leverage. It's fantastic. You should go watch it. I think it is on Amazon Prime. Oh, awesome. They get called in because Martin Wilson, who's really Willie Martin, is like, I need help getting back at this guy because the police don't believe that it was arson. They think it was an accident. And he was so upset by hearing the horses scream as they died. This is a direct quote from the show.
1: Oh, God. He's like,
0: I need, he's like, I want Baltimore. I just want Baltimore to be mine. I'll take good care of him. I don't want I don't oh. want Alan to have him. Oh. So they run this elaborate ruse, this elaborate scheme to get Baltimore from Foss's character. And they also trick him into some form of insurance fraud. I'm even confused on that. Oh, so d- they're
1: tricking him oh, in yeah. order to get Baltimore. Baltimore is just not even like a well, he was the only one that lived and I loved him. Like, it's like a, no, I want this. So we're going to like play his hand so that he has to do arson.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. So, so okay. Sorry. Sorry. I made, made that confusing. So the timeline of the TV show is Rick Hoffman has the stables burnt down because he's not getting a return on his investment. Right. Baltimore survives. Willie Martin then makes a call to some old friends who are connected with the leverage team and says, my stables have burnt down. I know this shady guy from New York. Did it and killed nine horses. The one that survived is still in his ownership because no one's caught him for arson. I want revenge. Like I want justice. I want. And the justice. police are. then the police don't think it was arson, so they're not. I'm not gonna get justice through them. So through their particular set of skills as former criminals and kind of current criminals because they work outside the law, they're like, okay, we can't necessarily get him arrested, but we'll get, we'll trick him into giving you Baltimore back. That doesn't go so well. They then trick him into committing insurance fraud. <laughs> oh. Which he then does get arrested for. Nice. And then Willie gets Baltimore back in the end.
1: Oh okay. I should have known with the show having a good, such happy ending that it would be the false one.
0: I know. When I was writing these, I was like, "Ah, uh, I gave the tall tale, kind of a upbeat ending and the true crime I'd ended with, they were going to rebuild and then decide not to in this town lost their two bowling alleys. And yet it still worked in your benefit though. Oh yeah. I was like, somehow the tragic will probably feel real. Too tragic.
1: Yeah. Well, you got me.
0: Yeah fun things i had to google for the show that might have me on a watch list is um <laughs> yeah, I had to look up the arson definition i had to look up um examples of insurance fraud
1: Wonderful. which i feel
0: like is shady to google how horse owners make money um which came from sports <laughs> bet mgm nice and um equine mortality insurance
1: Oh.
0: Do you want to see us out?
1: Nah, I think I'm I'm good. This was a great ride, Jack. I think A ride. Oh my, oh my god, horses. I'm so glad all, that all of the horses were fake so that I don't <laughs> have to feel really bad about them dying. Mm-hmm. Um that was that tricked me because I started thinking there's no way a show would kill nine horses. Leverage did. Leverage did. But no, that was really, really good. It's so on my edge of my seat the whole time. I did not know which way was going to be up. I, love, I, I love literally it. Like, was sitting here going like, gotta hear both cases before you start making your conclusions but also I'm like mm, "True, the true one is probably the first one but that will give the second one a chance and you got me literally with the Nine horses died. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) I'm so sorry I used horses against you. Oh, my God. Now you know my weakness. (laughs) I do. I truly do. All right. Do you want to see us out? I will see us out. All righty, guys. Well, this. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been True Crime, the Tall Tale, hosted by yours truly, Kat and Jack. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Sorry for making you uncomfortable with all of the dead horses. They were fictional, so that should put you at rest. So sorry. (laughs) So sorry. Well, catch you next time. Catch you next time. And bye. Bye.